Welcome to Applaudable Perspectives. This is our podcast, and I can't tell you guys how happy I have to have Michelle, my classmate from college days, and a former traveling companion, and we're just, it's just, we're just so excited to talk to one another today. Um, Michelle is out in California, and say hello to everybody. Tell them what you do and how, how we know each other. Hello, everybody. This is Michelle Morris, good friend in Canada. We've known each other since college. We studied in Paris together and traveled Europe together, which was so much fun. <laughs> ran into each other on the street if you remember and and just to rewind for a second we had a lot of classes in common because we were both studying econ and french so we that's how we sort of first got to know each other and then we spent a junior year abroad and spent months in europe and then traveled quite a bit so um go ahead so then you moved to new york unbeknownst to me and we were living on the same street remember street like one or two blocks from each other it was crazy. And, um, yeah. And I was on an interview and had come out. It might have been at like Time Warner, which I think is where you were working or was in that, na- it was in that neighborhood. Yeah. Actually. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it was lunchtime and I was walking down the street and I hear this screaming <laughs> coming at me. And I'm thinking, and I had been in New York, I don't know, a week or two. And I closed my eyes and I thought, Oh my God, I'm going to be mugged. <laughs> and then it was you. And then I started screaming. And uh, as college gals often do. And, um, <laughs> so, and then we found out we were both living there. We were only living two blocks from each other on the same street. Like it was crazy fun. We were all living on East 81st Street. And you were living with some oh, Wells women. And I had a, I had a studio. And then Leslie Gould was down the street. We were all like within walking distance of each other, which at the time, you know, that was a a really good place for young women to live that was safe. And I think it was just a Mecca for recent, you know, kids moving to New York at the time. So, um, uh, and you lived there, you lived there longer than I did. I was there for four years and then I moved 10 years and you were there for 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, and so you started your career, you were involved in international banking, and then you ramped up and got involved in TV and film work. Yeah. Well, I had always done, I came from a traditional family, and so if you were crazy creative, you were an economist. And yes. otherwise, um, you know, the whole, like, music, art, I didn't know anything about advertising other than I would be ads on TV, but I didn't know anything about the business. And um, so I thought if you could do something creative, you'd either be an actor or a singer. And I did a lot of that in school where I was in plays and musicals and had been in front and behind the camera, did some comedy. And um, You were also a jock. I mean, you played field hockey played and basketball and, and yeah. I didn't play field hockey. I did play basketball. I was a basketball person. And Are you serious? I thought I, I have a picture of you in the yearbook. I thought you were playing field hockey. No? 
No, that was Colleen McFarland. She played field hockey. Okay, so you just basketball. basketball. Okay, I just knew that you yeah, were but I was, a jock. Yeah, I was basketball, so okay. I was on the even, uh, the odd even team, and then I played on the on the team as well, and uh, which is really fun and and tough because you have to keep your grades up while you're traveling all over the place. Yeah. You know, well, this was not easy. Teams near you, but no. But when you're in college, you have to really travel all over the place. So. Wells was a great college. It was small, but, I mean, you couldn't get away with anything. I mean, we there was, like, very small student-faculty ratio. So, like, if you didn't go to class, they called you and, like, where the heck are you? You know what I mean? You couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't get away with anything. We had Miss Heck together, and I remember everybody went on vacation, and I show up at French class, and I'm the only one there. And I was like, I was ready to kill you guys. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? I show up, and there's I'm the only one in the classroom. <laughs> So I had a two-hour tutorial with Madame Hecht. I was terrified. Anyway. She was so fun. She was so intense. She would smoke. Oh, my God. Very slowly, in slow motion, as she's staring through you with those eyes. Yes. And then she would just blow out the smoke as she was still staring at you. Absolutely. I mean, this is a woman. She learned the power of, of silence. Yes. You admit to anything, just get her to stop staring. Yeah, stop staring. And she would say, like, eh, uh, uh, eh, d'autre. She would say, eh, quel d'autre? And what else? And what else? And I was like, this was a woman who survived the Holocaust. And I mean, just like, and she walked with a limp and she had a cane. And she taught forever. I mean, she was there for decades. She was a wonderful teacher. I mean, I loved her, but I was scared of her. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was really tough, but she was really good. Yeah. yeah, and she cared. I remember one time I started crying about, I don't know, I was overwhelmed. And she was like, what have we done to you? And she she was just really sweet, you know. I guess I caught her on a good day, but anyway. Okay, so fast forward. So we all end up in New York. Um, we I remember we used to have fun together and go out. And I mean, I was working at what became MTV. So it was like, let's go out and go party. And we were going to the cat club together and hanging out with different guys that we met, uh, Johnny Galef and, and just all kinds of uh, limelight. Remember the limelight was a place that we would go to. Yeah. And then dancing was was huge. I just remember one time, I don't know why, I don't know if your shoes, you didn't have the right shoes, but you, we were wearing a pair of our friends, cowboy boots. There was a guy, cowboy boots. You remember that? And we went out somewhere Yes, we were going to a think, club, and I think I had sneakers on, and you had to wear shoes. And um, I'm like, I don't have any shoes. I want to go home, come back. They're like, there's not enough time. And he brings me these cowboys, small feet for a woman. And so, like, I think we stepped socks in, like, the toes. Yeah. And then I was kind of swimming around in that. Do you remember going to see Wall Street, the movie Wall Street? I don't know if I do. Okay, I will. I will peak your. I will peak your memory if I get this right. So Wall Street had come out. Of course, Michael Douglas was gorgeous, and it was you know all about New York. So we had to go see it. So you and I splurged, and we went and had steak. Remember, we had steak. What was the name of that restaurant with the sawdust on the floor? Oh, God, I can't think of the name. Uh, was it? The Palm. The Palm. 
okay. We went to the original Palm. And, you know, we didn't have a whole lot, lot of money. So I think we just splurged and we, we bought, we each had some steak and there was more than enough steak. So you had a little goodie bag. I had a goodie bag. We go to this theater after seeing the Palm. I mean, after going to the Palm, we go to the theater to go see Wall Street. And we hear this noise. And there's rats in this theater, and they smell the steak. <laughs> Do you remember that? And we put, we picked our feet up, and we're like afraid they're going to grab our steak. Meanwhile, that steak was going to be another meal or two. You know what I mean? You don't want the rats to get the steak. I, I remember that vividly, like it was yesterday. I was like, "What the hell have we done here?" You know. Anyway, I obviously blocked that out of my head. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that, and I'm going, "Oh my goodness." Okay, so so fast forward. I moved to Nashville. Well, and so you got me into the business. You probably don't remember that. I but do. I do a little bit. Go ahead. T tell the yeah, story. So I was, I had been in banking, and then um, Kristen was also from Wells, and she had moved to the city, and then she was working in HR at an ad agency. And... So she'd gotten me a job in the ad agency, but I was in the financial area. Mm -hmm. So I was like signing all of the uh, money advances for all these creatives who were flying off to wherever to shoot all these like great commercials. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong end of the business. <laughs> but it was a typical corporation where they wanted to make you start all over. And I'm like, I'm not starting all over. And so then you and I had lunch, and I was like, oh, my God, I want to do something creative. I don't even know where to start, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so tired of people coming to lunch and complaining to me. Like, you need to have lunch with Marilyn Ross from <laughs> Reed Dolph, yep. the small production company, because she was complaining she couldn't find anybody good to hire. So she and I had lunch, and they hired me, and then that's what started me in my whole production career. And Reed Dolph had done a lot of stuff at Nickelodeon, I remember. So we had the we had the Movie Channel, Nickelodeon, Arts and Entertainment Network, which became Bravo, and then we we had the Music Channel, which became MTV. So that's the whole right. Reed Dolph co uh, connection. Okay. Right. So okay. And, um, and then from there, and then I used to tell people I didn't know what I was going to do when I moved to California because when I was in New York, and I would have job interviews, and it was pouring. Something always happened, and I would call and confirm. Because, you know, you didn't want to slump around New York. No. It was pouring rain. Uh-uh. And um, so I'd call and confirm. You know, we were still on, blah, blah, I'd get in there. And um, twice, once at MTV and once at uh, another ad agency, um, I got there. And at MTV... They just, there was some new intern screwed it up, and then um, the interview never happened. So they felt so bad about it that they just ended up hiring me. I mean, they gave me <laughs> I had to come back, but then they hired me, and then, which was great. And then um, when I went to the ad agency, this was after MTV, and, you know, I had confirmed and was sitting there and it was particularly like you were just half of you was just drenched it wasn't covered by your umbrella and um, and then the man's assistant came 
running out. And I, as soon as I saw her and the look on her face, I knew, like, all right, well, this isn't happening. And she <laughs> felt horrible. And I came back, and they ended up hiring me, too. So I said, oh, what am I going to do in L.A.? It never rains. So you have, this, you have this sympathetic face is what it is, Michelle. People feel sorry for you. And, and in New York, when it rains, forget about it. You can't get a cab. You know, it, it's just ridiculous. Right. It's just torrential and gullies, yeah. you know, when it really rains. Yeah. So anyway, so it's kind of funny. But, yeah, so I started my career in New York, um, first with the production company, and then um, and that's where I learned the whole, like, finishing process because it's mostly TV. Um but then, so it's really great with post. And then when I got hired by the ad agency, they're still shooting film, and, um, dating myself. But um, and so I thought, great, I'll be, you know, be paid to learn how to do that whole end of it. And uh, and then you you moved to St. Louis. Yeah, I got headhunted to St. Louis. And you were doing a lot of work with Anheuser Busch. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, so that and Eminem Mars, we did a lot of things with Twix and Skittles, and um, and you were going was, all over the place. I remember you flew to Australia several times to do commercials, right? Yeah, Eminem Mars. Yeah, yeah. The great thing about St. Louis was well, and it's interesting because when I first took the interview, I took it because I really wanted a job in New York, mm-hmm. and I was hoping to use it as a bargaining chip. And I thought, oh, and I've never been to the Midwest, I've never been to St. Louis, so let me go and check it out. And then and then um, they said, well, you know, we're interviewing other people, and it'll be at least two weeks before we know what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay. And the other funny thing was, after you interviewed with certain people, then they just sat you in a conference room and had anybody who wanted you to come in and interview. So it's really bizarre. <laughs> it's like a dating service. People. Yeah, it was crazy. And then this one guy comes in, he was very funny, and he had this huge bowling ball stomach. Like, he looked like he was probably six months pregnant. And he, <laughs> in, and he goes, hey, I'm square. And of course, looking at his stomach, and he's saying, square. And you're like, is this like Midwest tonight? I'm not really sure I follow. His <laughs> name was Bill Square. Oh! Hey, I'm Bill Square. He just said, hey, I'm Square. <laughs> and you can just see the roundness. <laughs> Funny contrast. But, um, but on my flight home, they offered me, they left me a message and offered me the job. And um, so I was like, wow, what happened to the two weeks? But... I was, you know, obviously flattered, and cause it was a great job, and um, I was trying to, you know, I called the company that I was really interested in that was in New York, because they were just starting to break into a bigger level where now they're going to really need a producer, and I thought I'll get on the ground level of a company, and, um, but then it turned out that there were two partners, and one wanted to stay small, and one wanted to really grow. And so they were fighting about it, and that's when I realized, like, yeah, this is going to happen, because they're either going to split the company, or who knows what's going to happen. But it's going to be a while before they work out their differences. And um, 
And then the headhunter got all nervous, like, why aren't you giving us an answer? And I said, well, because I'm working some things out. But then I took the job, and it was great. And what was interesting, they told me I would travel a lot of days, but then they had said there were, you know, companies in town. And it turned out they didn't do any production in town. Everything was somewhere else. So it basically opened up not only the state, but the world. So I shot all over the States, I shot all over Canada, and I shot around the world. And um, so that was that was really cool. And, you know, it's a whole other thing when you're producing internationally. Sure. Some of the things you have to learn about, you know, if you have to import your product and if you, like, what's the exchange rate and how do you lock into your exchange rate with the production companies and um, every production company usually has, you know, a handling company in whatever country you're in because they need someone who, you know, knows what's happening in that country. So, sure, sure. But you're right. I went to, I was really blessed. I went to Australia twice. Um, I produced radio over in England. Um and then that opened the way for when I went to, I went, I shot a few times in Canada and, um, yeah. And then when I eventually moved to LA, because I wanted to be in a place where I didn't have to travel so much anymore. Right. And interesting enough, it was like, I was 10 years everywhere, 10 years in New York and I was 10 years in St. Louis. And then I came, um, out to, um, California and, uh, and then I continued to be blessed and worked on, like, I shot in Romania. I shot... Really? In, wow. Yeah, I shot in Bangkok. Romania was really, was really funny because we, it was for Toyota when they had Scion, and um, we were doing it like, you know, like a horror film. And so the director, who was English, it was really international. We shot in Romania. The director was... English. The production company we built was American, and um, we were doing the post here in the States. And um, so we shot in, like, they had some really great um, old abandoned, like, hospitals, and we shot in this place that had been a spa, but then became, like, a hospital, sort of like this old crazy equipment. And supposedly when it was a spa, people would go there to get, like, facelifts and things. And supposedly Castro and um, Salvador Dali were roommates. So ah. getting, like, facelifts ah. or, or some crazy thing done to themselves. Wow. And we were like, wow. Yeah, it was really wild. And then we had originally were casting the States and in London. Then we decided that... Um, the, actually, the BCD co-owner of the company, he decided that we should cast also Romanian just to really give it an odd feel. And then they could speak in Romanian and we would use subtitles. Because the film, the, the commercials that I did almost always started in theater and then would go to broadcast. Sure, and, sure, sure. You know, 
for and the budgets weeks. were extraordinary. I mean, I remember you telling me some of the budgets. Like, what were so, I mean, what are the numbers that you that you were working with? Just extraordinary amounts of money that were spent. A couple of million dollars. Yeah. You know, for a thirty-second spot, sixty-second yeah. spot. Yeah, and they were usually campaigns, and you know, you, like I so said, you start in the theater, and then you would go to broadcast, and then you'd go to social media. And their websites and things like that, and um, and but you would do great things. Like sometimes we we had an orchestra, we had a music company, and we had an orchestra do the music. And usually, an orchestra it's too expensive to do in the states. So you do something from Europe, and um, so just some like amazing things. But, you know, we got to record sometimes in Capitol Records. One time we did do a, an orchestra up in Capitol Records, and that's where, you know. Everybody. Um, Sinatra. Yeah. Beatles. Yeah, we were in the room with Sinatra recording. <laughs> like the history was just like, wow, this is so awesome. So you were at the Capitol ca Tower. Yeah. yeah. So we were there, and um, you know, other places around town, right, with some, like, you know, the rock band, famous rock bands that recorded, and... Just kind of a neat, like you can feel the history, even though it's like definitely. You know. But um, yeah. so you've lived so, in LA for quite a while, and uh, I mean, it's sort of you know you've you you. I mean, I'm just gonna say one of the things that happened to you, is, and you're a survivor, you're a cancer survivor, and yep. um, I'm a miracle. Anybody says you're a miracle, and say I know one. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that happened when you were sick, and I remember you were you were taking Eziac, and and you were you were, you went through traditional methodology, and you had a you had surgery, et cetera, but you also got on holistic, um, and we're getting you know you you were the first person to tell me about Eziac, and so you were taking that, and I remember you had to have a hysterectomy, and you were just beside yourself, and I said Michelle, and you were and you're from a big family, and and. Uh, you were almost more upset about not being able to have children, to bear children because of the hysterectomy than you were about the cancer. I said, Michelle, you can adopt kids. Let's beat the cancer. Don't worry about that. And so you did beat the cancer, and then you went on. And tell a little bit about your journey to the Dominican Republic and what you've done and how that has just been so life-changing for you. Yeah, so I had a really rare cancer, like maybe a hospital a major hospital would see zero to three cases a year. So they didn't really know how to treat it. It was still all experimental. And, and it was a smooth muscle cancer, so it can be anywhere, anywhere in your body. So like, you know, Sam may have had it in his calf, and someone else may have it in their, you know, whatever. Sadly, I had it in my uterus, and I was young, and still was planning on having kids, and it was a horrible, it did, that was harder for me than, than anything. And yeah. I guess I figured I was going to survive the cancer, even though they told me I wouldn't. Did they actually tell and, you that? They, you never told me. Oh, you, they, yeah. they said you're not going to survive. Yeah, I had a doctor say, will you be here in five years? I don't think so. Will you be here in ten? Most likely not. And I was like, holy crap. Really good bedside manner, dude. Yeah, I was like, you know, my mother just started crying, and I was like, like I was just in shock and was just kind of frozen. Like, I, I didn't even know how to 
I didn't even know how to process that. And, and you know, when you first get it, especially if it's rare, like you have to do all this research and kind of figure out what to feel. And it's not like, not that it makes it any easier because cancer's horrible no matter what kind you have, no matter if. But if you have a kind where, like, you know, over 100,000 people have had it, you know, like, oh, this, 50,000 do this, and that, 20,000 do this. This was like, well, Harry did this, and Sally did that. And you were just like, what? So when we were researching, I was splitting up research with my mother. And because I kept trying to call the Cancer Society to find out what the, the deal was with it. And I couldn't get through, so I, and I was still working, so she was doing some, uh, so she was doing some of the research that, that was one of the things she was doing. And then I'd be like, hey, did you ever get through? Have you ever heard? She'd be like, um, no. And I finally realized, like, wait a minute. She did, but that's when she told me that they said 0% survived. And I just remember laying awake that whole night, like, not even knowing what to do with that. And I just felt like, you know what, I'm too young, I'm not going anywhere, even though the doctor said that, like, he's not God. He doesn't know how long I have on this life. That's right. And I did a lot of research, and luckily a lot of wonderful people were in my life that supported me in ways that I wouldn't even begin to know. Like, I had a friend that, um, she just sent every survivor she knew, made them call me. Like, it's interesting she just intuitively knew what to do, whereas now, like, that's the common thing to do. You know? Right. Like, talk to people, have support groups, call each other. And um, But one of them recommended a book um, called Fifty Things to Do When the Doctor Tells You It's Cancer. Yeah, and yeah. Uh-huh. There's a guy with some, like, crazy... I don't know, hairy cell leukemia, and they'd given him something crazy, like a weekend to live or a week to live or something. And the guy was like, what? And so he quickly did research. And again, it was rare. And so he just figured out all these different things to do. And because of that, that gave me hope. And it's weird where you get hope from. Yeah. Um, I remember watching the movie... One time, it was called Lorenzo's Oil. Yes. And it was, a, I don't know if you ever saw that, but it was with... Um, Based on a true story, right? Right. Susan Sarandon was the mother. Nick Nolte was the father. Okay. And they were college professors. And basically, they have a child that has some rare disease that mostly happens to boys. Some girls get but mostly boys. And um, they never knew what it was. And it was basically their journey, and they wouldn't give up. They kept, like, they did incredible research, and they found something about rapeseed oil being able to maybe fill the gap of whatever the is missing in their system. Yeah. And, you know, people blew them off and didn't believe it, but they found some Italian family who made Italian, I think it was Italian, not Greek, who made this oil and talked to them, and their father was retired but still went into the office, so he took it on as 
thing, and they made this foil, sent it to them, and they started giving it to their kids, and, you know, the kids were getting better, and then it's just, it's a really good movie. It can be tough at times because, um, you know, they didn't know whether, they knew they were making progress, but they didn't know if they were making it in time to save their child or not. Right, right. But well, it was weird. It's like it had nothing to do with what I was going through other than it was this, a rare thing. It was really difficult. The prognosis was bad, but they had hope, and it somehow gave me hope. And um, so I started, you know, juices that would help. Um, you know, I found out 10 almonds a day helped. And so um, I just started doing all of these things. Like you said, I took Easyac, and I... I swear by that, and um, I know it's helped so many people, and um, yeah, so, so, thank the good Lord, knock on wood. And you didn't, you know, you were not an unhealthy person to begin with, I mean, you were always an athlete, you didn't drink a lot, you didn't smoke, so, you know, it's not like you were leaving, living a really unhealthy lifestyle, so you're still in California, you got involved California. with these these young girls. Some of them were yeah. at risk, and some of them were orphans in the Dominican Republic, and they really became your children. I mean, you you yeah. uh, have seen them through their lives, and some of them now have gotten married and have kids of their own. And this has been, you know, it's just the most amazing journey that maybe wouldn't have happened had you had your own kids. You know, if you think about it. very true and what's interesting about it is that it was a volunteer vacation and I thought oh, I've never been to Dominican Republic it's in the Caribbean like that could be kind of fun and plus you're helping people at the same time so um, I had tried to get anyone to go with me and nobody wanted to work on their vacation they considered it work on their vacation and um, no, it was interesting. At the time, I would always plan my vacations for when I knew projects were going to be finished. Because projects can be anywhere from two to four months. And so then I would start planning my vacation for when my project was going to be completed. And <clears throat> I'd been looking at all these different things for vacation. Like there was this amazing singles cruise in Greece, around the Greek islands. Well, the boats were filled. They needed two people, not just one. And... I didn't find anyone else to go with me. Just either they weren't available or they were afraid of water or who knows what. So I was trying all these things. And I thought, I want to go to Bora Bora, so I was going to go there. But the only rooms they had available were overlooking, like, air conditioning units. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to Bora Bora to look over an air conditioning unit. And so then I saw a little ad in American Airlines there, um, online magazine and it said who's your heart in the Caribbean and a picture of a little kid with big glasses and so with an 800 number I thought well that's interesting and when I called they said they do these volunteer vacations down with Dominican and an orphanage and and they had a trip for the exact week that I was looking to go on vacation so I thought okay that's you know synchronicity so I said I can go and the guy was like what because usually people, like, you know, plan vacations, like, half a year, year out. So 
um, I said, yeah, I think I can go. And at the time, you had to, like, bring projects to do with the kids. Um, so I quickly came up with some projects. My mother worked in the administration office of the school, so I called her, like, okay, like, what can I do with kids? You know, what kind of projects? And so, um, yeah. And so I went down there thinking I'd go once, and it's a beautiful country. I love the people. They have a good sense of humor. And, you know, there was a set of twins who just stole my heart, and I started going back every year and a half, year, year and a half. And, um, and then the next thing you know, four of them are, are in my life. And, um, you know, you can't, it's really legally difficult to adopt in the Dominican Republic, it turns out. And so we just post the next best thing. And, you know, they're my daughters. They call me mom. And, uh, like you said, they're married now, started having kids, so it's really, it's pretty exciting. I love that, Michelle. Oh, no. It's a beautiful, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful it's story, great. and it's like lemons into lemonade, and to me, it's such a testament to, first of all, your, uh, your gratitude, and your perseverance, and your faith, it's just your, your living truth of it, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I just remember us laughing a lot when I was with you and just always having a really good time and that you, you just, uh, you just got it done. Whatever it was, you just sort of got it done and you never let fear hold you back. I mean, if you think of all the places that you've lived and all the things that you've done, you just keep getting up and dusting yourself off if something throws you a curveball. You just do it. Um, I want to talk a little bit because we were, we actually were wishing each other greetings and then you said, you know, I'm working with AI and I was like, oh my God, let's talk about AI because everyone is, of course, it's all over the news and, and people are fearful of AI and you're using it as a tool. So let's kind of segue into how that's working in your business. How, how are you using AI and, and why is it working for you? And, and it's kind of like, you're not using it. You're not letting it control you. You're using it as a tool. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding it really fun and surprising because I mostly heard, like, the negative sides of AI, like, oh, like, we're so afraid of AI and it's bad and this and that. And you can definitely see how it could get out of control very easily and people could use it for bad. But, but it's here to stay, and I have to say it is, I find it amazing. And um, I had actually taken, like, a webinar. It was a woman's entrepreneur webinar, three-day thing, through Real Success. And one of the people um, speaking had a course, Get Shit Done. And um, uh, her name is McKenna Riley. Young, I mean, I think she's, I don't know, she's, like, maybe 20. 22, and Forbes Riley is her mother, who is really big, and um, she's, her mother is like an amazing salesperson, and McKenna was always into um, computers, and and learned, like, 
everything that she could. And so when her mother was, was starting to, everything was moving over and, you know, it's online, especially during COVID. Um, McKenna said, oh, mom, let me help you and set her up. And she sold like, I want to say she sells like coach. At the time she signed coaching for like a thousand dollars. And once her daughter set up this thing overnight, she made 25 K. Wow. And Fantastic. And was like, wait, what? And the daughter was like, oh yeah, well, I just did this little. And so when she was offering this course, I thought, you know, I don't really know that much about AI. And the course I think was about how to write your ebook. Right. And get it out there. And it's basically, you know, all about promoting yourself. And so, the first course was about using AI to write, and then the second one was about like how to get it, use it to funnel, get it on um, online. And it's so fascinating. So I've been using ChatGPT, and everyone that I've taken a course from about it has said it's a tool. You have to use it as a tool. Don't just use it and stick it out there. You have to really like read it and review it. And if you think of it as your assistant, it is amazing. And, um, like, I'd also taken something from Alessia, let me see, what are their names? Sorry, forgetting that. But anyway, they went from, like, taking nine months to write a book to now they're writing books, you know, like in like a month or so yeah by using ai and um and what's great about it is you just the more specific you are the better it is right and i think i was explaining to you like what's great about it when you're writing something it takes away that whole onus of the blank page because you know what you want to write you know what you're trying to do um, but then sometimes you're like, well, how do I organize my thoughts? How do I break this down into chapters? And um, and AI is great. Like, it helps you with names. Like, naming things can be really difficult. And you can just put in, well, here's what I'm thinking. And it'll give you suggestions. And you can say, give me ten suggestions on a name for this kind of book. Yeah or article, uh-huh. or company, or whatever it is, and then it will give you 10 specific things. Then you can look at it and say, okay, and let's say they give you it's between three and five lines, and then you can write and say, okay, take these three, like your three favorite, and then ask them to give you five options of each, but only one sentence long, and it will do that, and it's just, like, amazing. Right, um, right. So, and like I said, it can help you. You can put your outline in there, and then it'll be more specific. It can give you, or if you say you just have the top of your chapter, it can give you specifics on how to break that down. Um, I have a friend who uses it when people ask him for a recommendation letter. He puts in his information, how long he's known the person, what his deal is. Then whoever the person is that he has to write, write the recommendation is, he puts it in there information and then then he gets back a recommendation letter uh-huh. and all you should do is like review it and so 
it's really great with helping you define your target audience. You can say, okay, this is the kind of thing I'm writing, or this is what my business is. Who's my best audience? And then it'll give you the audience and tell you why that they're good, and then you can pick those audiences and say, okay, now here's my outline, here's my book. Can you rephrase it to appeal to the, to this group? You can tell it to write in, you know, I want this to be like friendly. I want this to be um, scientific. I want the voice write just like a copywriter would write. And so you can get all these different voices. And you can also train it. I just took a class on how you train it to speak in your voice. Okay. Meaning, like, you know, because let's face it, I can read something. Sometimes you can read, like, a letter that could be from anybody. A lot of times, like, oh, I know this is definitely yours. I know this is definitely hers. Right. Because of the way it's written, right? And so you can train it to write in your type of expression. Right, sure, sure. And then it's almost like presets for photography, right, where you, let's say you want something to look sepia, or you want something to look like Kodachrome, or you want something to look um, black and white. And then you, you set up the preset so that when your photographs come in, you can just apply that preset, and then it makes them all in that specific thing. Right. This is kind of similar to that. Like, you make up your, you work on how your voice wants to sound, and then, um, I don't think it will save it. I think it's like a preset. You save your preset, and then when you go back, then you just input that information, sure. and then it will, you know, write it how you want. It's almost like we talked about. It's like you're saving yourself some time and you're saving on what, what an assistant might have done in the past. Now you could do it on your own and it's basically free. So it, it actually is allowing you to be your own business. It's giving, allowing you to be an entrepreneur if it's used properly. Yeah, it, it saves a lot. of The thing is it's a big time saver. And, and it's, in a way, it's, it's, it's like having an assistant it's like being in like a room with creative people, like where you're talking around ideas. Like, okay, well, we could call it this, we could call it that, or you say, all right. So we know we have to create X. How are we going to get like what? What does X need to? You know, what kind of things does it need to answer? Um, or you know, what are the attributes that you want to promote? You know, whatever it is. And then you can put that in, and then they give you suggestions. And then from there, you can take the suggestions that speak most to you, and then you go back, and then you just keep diving deeper and deeper, using it to, like, keep working your thoughts, keep working the idea. And so, yeah, it's, it's really a great tool. <laughs> I have a friend who uses it uh, with songwriting. And so, especially if you've got a, uh, a deadline with doing a project, this will help you get to right. the you know deadline. So we're we're using it a little bit, but probably not as much as you are at this point. 
Um, do they, do they, are you using it to write the music, or are they using it to write the lyrics, or both? Both, both, yeah. Wow, interesting. And yeah. he's, he's a seasoned writer. I mean, I was like, well, tell me more about it. He's a producer and writer. Right. Um, Michelle, I always ask my guests life advice, and it could be either personal or professional. Would you like to share sort of some thoughts that have helped you over the years? And one of the things I love about this conversation is this is all about lifelong learning and reinventing yourself and getting out of your comfort zone. And you've done that over and over again, and I admire you so much. And, you know, I would say Wells kind of pushes out strong women, and I think you and I both have had a struggle sometimes finding men that we can resonate with. I mean, you you were in my wedding. It was a great wedding. It was not a great marriage. It did not last, and, and I've spent most of my life uh, without a mate, um, and I think you're probably the same way. And just you've done all this kind of as an independent woman, uh, which is very admirable, you know. Thanks, Pam. I admire you, too. Like, you know, what you've accomplished is amazing. I can still remember when you were trying to decide, do you move to Nashville from New York? And, you know, we are going over like the pluses and the negatives. And then just watching your amazing, you know, trajectory, you were like, what do they call that in music, the bullet? You were like a bullet. You just kept going higher and higher and higher. And and you continue to. And, and I really applaud that and admire that and um yeah i think wells really they really taught you to think and and i feel like it was liberal arts right so they they taught you to be broad like broad have a broader vision as opposed to a very like narrow vision and um, and it really was about thinking and learning and daring. I would say daring too, you know, being, yeah. being like daring. It was like, oh, you want to be a nurse? Why don't you want to be a doctor? Oh, you want to work for a corporation? Why don't you own the corporation? And it was sort of like, why not? You know, we, when we were there, Sissy Farenthold was the president, and she had run for office with Shirley Chisholm, which was symbolic. I mean, Shirley was a black uh, woman, a politician who ran for president, and Sissy was on the ballot, and then she had been governor of Texas. So that was our role model, for God's sakes. You know, she, she was, was amazing. She was amazing, yeah. She was really an amazing person. And, and Wells, I should say, was a, 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 a woman's college at the time. It's now co-ed. Do you remember Coretta Scott King was our, our uh, commencement address? Yeah. Speaker. She was an amazing and inspirational speaker. And, and I think it was true. It's kind of like what a lot of like the big coaches talk about today, like a Tony Robbins or Jack Canfield, and it's all about not being the best that you can be, but how do you help others in, um, along the way. And, and I think we were... We were taught that, and we we're always taught to, like, you're right, keep pushing, push the like, don't just take no for an answer. The quote, don't ask why, ask why not, is often attributed to Robert F. Kennedy, an American politician and lawyer. However, it is important to note that this quote has been used by various individuals over time, 
and its exact origin may be difficult to pinpoint with certainty. Yeah. QAI. Okay. That's the other thing. Someone told me they take, like, you know, when you buy a new product and you have, like, you know, a 300-page instruction booklet. He feeds it into AI and just says, condense this down to, like, a page. Oh, get out of here. That's fantastic. I hate to read instructions. That's fantastic. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I know. I was like, wow. That's the other thing. Once you start talking to people, the things that people use it for is amazing. But, um, yeah, I think you just need to stay curious about life. And, you know, whatever that is, never stop learning because I think it's just important. And it keeps you youthful and it keeps you, you know, it just keeps your mind firing and all. Cylinders, yeah. Um, so you also just never know where it's going to lead you. Exactly. So it makes life more interesting. And don't be afraid of it because knowledge is empowering, if nothing else. So... When you went on your quest to find a cure for cancer, you were taking Eziac. Are you still taking Eziac? Has there been anything that you uh, now do on a regular basis to keep you cancer free or keep you healthier? Um, I still, I still do take it, just uh -huh. as a precaution. You know, like people take, you know, a multivitamin. I right. Can take it because it's. It's basically like an immune booster. Right. And it, uh -huh. you know, prevents things from growing. So, yeah, I definitely do that. And, um, Are you a vegetarian? Are you a vegetarian, uh, Michelle? No. Uh -huh. I, I don't have that. I think I eat more vegetables than meat. Uh -huh. But I have at least one. I probably have, you know, at least two days a week that I just do veggies and not meat, but uh -huh. when I haven't had meat for a while, like, I notice it, and I need to have it, so I definitely am not a kind of person that could ever be a total vegetarian. Yeah, I understand. Um, but, and I also think, like, everything in moderation. Yes. Like, macrobiotics was huge for a while with people with, people with cancer, and it was way too harsh. Because luckily I didn't have to go through chemo at the time, which is radiation and surgery. But like I speak just like it's a big thing, but it was still very intense. Of course. But um, but the thing you have to do is you have to keep your weight up when you're going through cancer because you know a lot of treatments don't make you want to eat; they make you sick. And so it's kind of like whatever's going to keep your weight on, do it. And people are doing macrobiotics like they wouldn't eat fruit because they eat sugar and fruit. And you're like, seriously? I'm sorry. When has an apple ever hurt anyone? You know? And have you, have, do you stay away from sugar because uh, sugar is a, a, creates inflammation? And I, I know they always say that uh, sugar is like helps cancer grow and you should stay away from sugar. Are you? Do you stay I've off heard, of sugar? I, I have. I have heard that, but I have a sweet tooth. Um, <laughs> I try to minimize it, but I do not. I don't know. I don't hide from sugar. Got it. Like okay. I try. You know, I try to be healthy. You know, if I can. You know, I weaned growing up, um, 
I drank very Irish coffee, which was, you know, sugar and milk. And Jameson. And coffee. Jameson, and milk, baby. And sugar. What? What'd you say? I said to Jameson. Throw some Jameson oh, in there. Yeah. <laughs> like, people who make Irish coffee with coffee and a shot of Bailey's, that is not Irish coffee. I'm sorry to say. It's a different kind of Irish coffee, but it's quite delicious, I have to say. Yeah, but I'm a purist. I'm telling you, I'm a purist. So, both of our both of our daddies were Irish, so yeah. Yeah, I have Irish on both sides, but um, yeah, yeah. It's no, I don't do no sugar. I should probably do less sugar than I do. I just try. To, I try to live by everything in moderation. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really that's really good advice. Not to be militant yeah. about anything. Right. Well, look at Weight Watchers, right? Why does that work so well? Because it's balanced. You know, like, you don't not have dessert. You don't not eat certain things. It's just the amount that you eat it in and how often you eat it in. Right, right. And, you know, it encourages eating vegetables over, you know, certain meat. Well, um, portion control and also... You know, American diet, if you look at it, it's like a big piece of meat and maybe two vegetables or maybe one vegetable and a starch. The rest of the world, meat might be a component, but it's not the primary. It's just added to. So if you go to Asian food or Indian food or whatever, which I'm a big ethnic food person. Um, I, I really love Indian food. That's one of my favorites. So... It makes total sense what you're saying. And and getting exercise. And you, you live in a place where it's, like, beautiful every day. So, you know, getting out and getting fresh air and walking and exercising is, is always really important. It's really important, too. Yeah. And and I, try, I do try to do curry, you know, like once a week if I can. Just because that's really good for you. Um, Indian food is loaded with antioxidants. So, you know, the coriander right. and the cumin and the, you know, for me, like, I like Mexican, but I, I really love Indian. And I Mexican once in a while. I very rarely eat, like, you know, here everybody loves, like, the hot chicken and the pork and, you know, barbecue right. and all that stuff. It's like, ugh, not, it's not my thing, you know, nothing against everybody that loves that. But it's just, for me, it's yeah. not my thing. So... I love it, I have to say. I just, a friend of mine, uh, Bob Morey, who's a, a really good editor, um, he went to a place called Maple Block, and they have, like, amazing barbecue here in L.A. Really? But is it beef, bar- beef barbecue or pork or everything? It's everything. So we shared, like, a plate that had beef brisket and... They called it chopped pork, but it was kind of like a pulled pork. Pulled pork, that yeah. Was so delicious, just cornbread. Wow, well, well, Michelle, I want us to make a pack. It has been too long, and we have got to get together. And please come you see can. me. I want you to come. You know, everybody from California is moving here, so you can at least come check it out. Okay. <laughs> I will. Yes, this has been so fun. Thanks for having me. I love you, Good. Michelle. And we have lots of history together and we're still talking to each other. And, you know, I was reading a book that um, my accountant gave me and it's called The Women Code. And it's 20 Powerful uh, Keys to Unlock Your Life. It's by Sophia Nelson. And I thought of you when I was reading this. And I just thought, you know what? We have history together. We 
we really saw each other grow up and I don't have that many people like that in my life so thank you for being a friend we don't see each other that often we don't talk to each other that often but we still have a bond and it's like we just pick up like it was yesterday you know yeah and that's so great to have to be friends like that yeah it was, it's like we haven't missed a beat. So yeah. Sophia's code, is that what you said? It's uh, Sophia Nelson. Sophia A. Nelson. The woman, the woman code, the woman code. And okay. um, the woman code, your key to unlocking a more fulfilling life. And this is an African-American woman who wrote it. She's an author and journalist and former White House reporter. Um, she was, she's an attorney. It's really good. So... I'm 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 in two book clubs and and I just read all the time and and I've just been you know really going through a little bit of a journey myself recently and so all these friends are giving me books and I'm like oh this is great I'm reading this so it's sitting on my on my uh, on my desk right now Michelle thank you so much and God bless you and hopefully let's see each other before the year is out okay thanks Pam God bless you too okay thanks for listening to Applaudable Perspectives bye bye.